Well, if you have joined us since we have begun our worship service this morning, welcome to Cornerstone Presbyterian Church. We're glad you're here. We began last week a series entitled For Freedom Set Free, and we will conclude this short opening 2020 series next week. And yet in this middle week, we are discussing, after having discussed last week, that truth that sets you free, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, really looking at what the heart of worship is. Last week as we gathered, we're, we're looking today more at the subject of discipleship. Discipleship is a key part of the ministry of the church. Uh, we've already this morning in our announcement time spoke about men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies, opportunities to uh, walk together, to be together, to challenge one another, to grow in grace. We have many different ministries in the context of Cornerstone for the opportunity to set yourself before the means of grace and to pray for the Lord to use those means to conform us more into the likeness of Christ. That's our hope and prayer and vision. The challenge often in that is that reading the Word and praying and and obeying the word and evangelizing and all of the various things that the Lord calls us to do and putting to death sin and growing unto righteousness are not things that we can just simply do by willpower. They're not something that we can just get up in the morning one day and turn over a new leaf and all of a sudden we have licked every difficulty that we've had with our own hearts and our character and we see ourselves just uh, abounding from uh, one uh, victory to another. That's just not the nature even of the Christian life. And we sometimes use the phrase here at Cornerstone, uh, whether or not we're walking or we're stumbling, we hope to walk or stumble forward. Um, we hope to walk or stumble forward. And sometimes when we stumble forward, uh, we, we learn the most. Uh, we are humbled again at recognizing who we are. And we rejoice again at seeing the immeasurable riches of God's grace that picks us back up and cleans us up and sets us on our way without guilt and without shame. And then we get one step down the road and we fall again and he picks us up and he brushes us off and sends us going again. And, and the fact of the matter is every single part of the Christian life is undergirded and around about with the grace of God. And we recognize that in discipleship. But we sometimes get to those places where we're stuck. We get to those places in our Christian life where we don't know uh, how to move forward what would it take for God's commands uh, to become that happy choice that we just sang about? Uh, to truly love the things that God loves and to begin to genuinely from inside out begin to say, I'm seeing a, the needle move in my Christian life in the right direction? Well, it's that question we want to explore in and around this subject of discipleship today. What does it mean to follow Christ in his word and his commands so that obedience, righteousness by his grace becomes increasingly true of us as his people? 
Uh, do that, we're going to find ourselves in Romans chapter 6 this morning. We're dipping into the Apostle Paul's magnum opus, probably his most uh, celebrated uh, letter, his most uh, theologically rich uh, letter, and we're picking up midstream in his argument. And so it's pretty important for you to know, in the first five chapters of the book of Romans, he has given to us the most beautiful portrait of the gospel. He has described our identity in Christ, that we are a people who have been made right with God by virtue of the finished work of Jesus Christ for us on the cross and in the resurrection. That everything that he is and all of his perfections have been charged to our account as we have trusted in faith in him. And all of our penalty for our sin, all of the ways in which we have fallen short, uh, all of the guilt, the real guilt, not just guilty feelings, the fact that we're really guilty, all of that reality was placed upon Christ on the cross and he fully paid that penalty and expunged our record. To, to the point that, even right now, for those of you who are trusting in Christ uh, today, when the Lord looks at you, it's the record of the Lord Jesus Christ that he sees. He sees you beautiful and as white as snow. His full record has been charged to you. There's nothing that you could do to better your standing with the Lord. And there is nothing that you could fail in doing that would somehow compromise your standing with the Lord. I say, that's an unbelievable truth in the gospel. And Paul has unpacked that deeply in Romans 1 through 5. And in fact, he's unpacked it so well that he now has critics who are saying to him, Paul, if this is true, that means we can just keep on sinning and everything will be all right, right? They're connecting some dots. If I can't do anything to sabotage my standing with the Lord and I can't do anything more that would make me at a better standing with the Lord if Jesus has really done it all, can't we just continue to sin? And in an interesting way, they're actually going a step further. They're saying, aren't you knocking out the knees of good works by arguing for this kind of good news in the gospel? But even, isn't it even worse than this? Aren't you telling us that even when we sin, grace abounds all the more when we sin. So that if we sin more, grace is going to abound even more. And so would it be possible that if we sin more and more, Christ gets more and more glory because more and more grace is going to abound. And so are you not just saying you don't have to work hard? Are you saying we should just actually sin a lot more? so that we can promote God's abounding grace all that much more. That, that's literally the question that's at the beginning of chapter 6. In fact, if you have your Bibles, you might open to Romans chapter 6, because you might actually find some of the verses around the verses that we're going to look at this morning helpful. But the very opening verse there in Romans chapter 6 is this. What shall we say then? Are we just to continue in sin so that grace may abound? So you can see, that's the question they've, they've arisen. Now I want you to see, the same question is in our passage phrased slightly differently. Look at verse 15. What then are we to sin because we are not under the law, 
but under grace. It's essentially the same question phrased slightly differently. And Paul, as you can see already in the text that's before us, he gives us the strongest negative that you can have in the Greek. (laughs) He says, by no means. By no means. And in fact, if you are drawing that conclusion, it's an indication that the delivering power that is mine, which I've given to you through the power of the Holy Spirit, to not just pay for the penalty of your sin, but to deliver you from the power of sin, is not yet really registered with you. And he says, I want to show you this picture that will really not just give you the assurance that you're saved, but will so change you that you'll want to live like your Savior. That's what we're pursuing today as we look at Romans 6 together. Romans 6, beginning in verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness... So now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word, and we would now ask you to begin to give shape to our hearts as we attend to it. Come and pour your holy desires into us. Give to all of us your good counsels and begin to lead us in all your just and faithful works. Give us as your servants this day the peace which the world cannot give to us and do so by setting our hearts in obedience to you, loving you by watching and taking in the faithful obedience of Christ on our behalf. We ask this in his holy name. Amen. Well, the Apostle Paul in this passage is, is really helping us uh, explore one of the great uh, mysteries and challenges of the Christian life. And he's doing so by helping us with this imagery, this imagery of freedom on the one hand and slavery On the other, two things that we would see as opposites 
And in a way of speaking, the apostle Paul would as well. But as he unpacks the work of Christ Jesus and the way that that work of Christ actually does its work in our hearts, he wants us to know that there is a kind of slavery that is actually freeing. And it's the kind of slavery that Christ has actually put within our hearts by his grace at the moment of our trusting in him alone for our salvation, the moment of what we sometimes refer to as conversion, the change that comes when we trust in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, in that moment, I freed you from one thing, sin. And then in that freedom, you willingly and with an obedient heart gave yourself as a slave to me. There is a slavery that actually arises willingly out of freedom. And so the Apostle Paul here is trying to say those two things when it comes to the gospel are actually in really close relationship. And you need to understand the nature of how that works. And I'm going to unpack it for you. That's what Paul is saying. You need to understand the nature of how that works. I'm going to unpack it for you. I'm going to give you insight into how the heart actually begins to change so that you can experience freedom that is utter slavery to the purposes and the commands of God. Now to do that, I want to look at this passage in three ways with you. I want to first see that everyone's a slave. That's what the Apostle Paul tells you. He says every one of us is a slave, and that's uh, point one. And then there is a, 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 a slavery that leads to death. There is a slavery that, that leads to death, and then there is a slavery that leads to life, a, a even richer and deeper freedom, we might say. And we're going to look at each of those together. But I want to start with everyone's a slave, because part of the goal of this series together is help us to better understand, even as we said last week, why is it that Christianity in our own day and time in the 20th, or from the late 20th century in and out to the 21st century, has become increasingly known as a religion that is slavish, or restrictive, or repressive. When historically, Christianity has often been cast and understood as a faith system, belief, and construct that advances freedom in the world. And in fact, even as we sang, and can it be, last week together, my chains fell off and my heart is free, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. That picture of conversion that is given to us in Wesley's hymn is something so many Christians would say, I recognize that experience. That's what's happened to my heart. Coming to know Christ has been one of the most freeing and the essence of what true freedom actually looks like. And then when the world looks at it, they say, well, I see all these moral commands. I see all these things you're called to do. I, you know, you have to get up early on a Sunday morning and sit in hard pews and, and, and do, do all kinds of things that don't, to me, resonate with the word freedom. They actually look very much like uh, restriction, like oppression, like something I want to throw the shackles off of uh, rather than the difference. And what the Apostle Paul is actually doing when he tells us here at the opening of this passage is confronting us with the fact that um, Christianity stands in opposite understanding and interpretation of human freedom than the world tends to think. 
When he says here, there's no such thing as a person who's not enslaved. There's two kinds of slavery, and you're in one category. Either you're enslaved of sin, and you're headed towards death, or you're in slavery towards righteousness because you've been changed by Christ. And now your heart is set towards the things that Christ would have them set to. That, that slavery leads you to increasing freedom in sanctification and life. You're in one or two categories. But every one of you is in one of, one of those two. You're, you're all a slave in one way, shape, or form. Now, when, when we put it that way, he's confronting, though Paul's not writing in the 21st century, he's confronting the dominant cultural understanding of our time, and he is saying, um, the way you think about freedom, uh, North America in the 21st century, is, is all wrong. How so? <laughs> well, Ron Highfield, a name maybe some of you will know, is a professor at Pepperdine University, has written pretty extensively on the subject of uh, freedom and, and human dignity. Uh, he asserts that the best way to spot a cultural understanding or a narrative, a dominant belief in the world around you, is to look for what he calls the applause line in the grand events. The, what he calls the applause line. What does he mean by that? Well, if you watch the Golden Globes or you watch the Grammys or any um, award ceremony, the big events, there are certain things that get applause. And he says, if you pay attention to what gets applause, you're actually going to catch what is the dominant cultural understanding. What is the dominant cultural narrative, the way of making sense of, of the world. Highfield said, when you're, when you're listening to an acceptance speech at the Golden Globes or at the Grammys, it's going to go something along these lines. Listen, thank you for all the votes out there. For those of you who have um, listened to my music, if I'm at the Grammys or watched my film, if I'm an actor or an actress, thank all of these people who, who supported me. I couldn't be where I am without these folks. And then they say something near the end that says along these lines, if you're an actor out there or you're a musician, I, I just want to encourage you, keep following your dreams. Keep following your dreams. Don't, don't give up. Listen, only you know what it is that you're really called to do. Don't, don't listen to the naysayers and other people out there. Just give, give your heart freedom and, and release to chase your dreams. And one day, like me, you're going to be standing on this stage, and it's going to be awesome. Thank you, New York. Grateful, you know, and you, you walk off, right? And, and Highfield said, you know, this is where the, the applause comes. He says that's the uh, applause line. Now, let me, you know, let's think through that. That's kind of the understanding. Everybody goes, yeah, that's it. Like, that's, that's life. That's a statement of the way things ought to live. I want to, these are the things I want. I'm going to live for the things that I want. I don't want anybody to tell me what else to do. I'm going to chase my dreams, and I'm going to find the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow when I get there. And we're all in this together. You know, that kind of thing, that spirit. Now, imagine this. Uh, acceptance speech. Listen, if you're out there, you know, working towards becoming a, a musician and, and being popular or an actor and, and making it, I mean, there's all kind. I just want you to know there's all kind of temptations in your heart right now. Um, you could get carried away by your desires. It's been one of the most difficult and hard things for me. There's addictions and there's, there's the praise of other people that you live for. And, and to be quite honest, being in this limelight is destroying my life and it's making me more obsessed with me than I ever have before. I would just encourage you, submit to rightful authority, um, obey God's commands, and listen to your mama. 
I'll see you next time, New York, you know. <laughs> right? And everybody's going to look at you and go, uh, you know, go to commercial, go to, go to commercial, you know. Um, because in that, it, that is actually confronting, the, that would be confronting the, the cultural narrative. It, it would be the opposite of what one would expect to do. You know, what do we, what do, we do in a moment like that? It, it's essentially, it's essentially, you know, the, if you think about it, <laughs> reflecting on this yesterday, it's essentially the, the storyline of most of our Disney movies, Right? You know, if you're, if you're, I was kind of replaying Moana in my, in my mind yesterday and thinking about that, that song she sings about how far I'll go, right? She's, she's on the island with her, her family and she's the next in line to become a leader after her father and, and uh, she's going to have to carry on the family custom and lead. She's going to be in a role she doesn't necessarily want to be and she looks out at the sea and she really just wants to escape and one day she will escape and the one thing she doesn't need to do is to follow in line with her parents or the belief structure of the island. She needs to blaze her own trail and give in the hopes of her desires. So she says, see the line where the sky meets the sea? It calls me, and no one knows how far it goes. If the wind in my sail and the sea stays behind me, one day I know how far I'll go. And we just all, we feel really good after hearing that song. It's actually pretty cool. I like the song. Um, but as you, as you listen to it, it's, it's, it, it really is sort of throw off and give in to all the things you feel. And you desire. Now, and now, listen, I'm not picking on these films, so don't, well, a little bit I am. But, but I want you to think through, I mean, think of Frozen, right? Think of Elsa here. Um, I, I mean, in, in, in Frozen, you know, which is, you know, you're, you're training like, you know, three to 10 year old daughters on Frozen. And, and as they're, they're watching Elsa, you know, do her thing and give in to her desires as she sings our favorite song, right? Let it go. Um, she says, listen, I mean, it's amazing. Like this is the lines. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. I hope you're not raising your children on those lines. As catchy as that song is. And maybe we know the lyrics to that song but have never really even thought about it. It's all to simply note that that notion of freedom is, is re it's coming at us from all kinds of directions. There's many other ways in which we could cast that or, or vision it. And the Apostle Paul is actually saying here, those notions that you can give into your desires and you can find yourself and in finding yourself through your successes or reaching certain achievements or plateaus or places in life or building certain relationships, and this is going to give to you the freedom that your heart really desires, the Apostle Paul is saying the exact opposite is going to happen. There is a kind of freedom that looks like freedom that is not free. There is a way that seems right to a man, and its end is the way of death. What do I mean? Well, I want to look at this slavery that leads to death. Okay, if everyone's a slave here, let, and there's a good slavery and there's a not good slavery, what's the slavery that leads to death? Notice the imagery that the Apostle Paul uses here. He says, according to Paul, that slavery to sin is death. 
That's what he says. Now, you may say to yourself, listen, Moana did not want to you know, necessarily rebel. She was struggling, and she was just following her sense of vocation and call and those sort of things. And that, that, we can spin it in that way. I get it. And you know, there can be some of that also in some other films, and there's pieces of that that are true. And I'm actually not so much concerned about the crossing of a line or a trespass. I'm interested in Paul's metaphor here. Notice how he is defining sin. He's defining it as slavery. That's really important. There are multiple definitions of sin in the Bible. So we have a great one in the Westminster Confession of Faith. You know, what is sin? Some of you know it in the shorter catechism. You know, it is the, uh, what, is, what is sin? Sin is any lack of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. You're like, what? What did you say? <laughs> sin is the want of conformity, meaning not measuring up to the standard of God or transgression of going against the very thing God tells you not to do. Both sides. We call that omission and commission with regards to sin. Not measuring up and then going directly against the things of the Lord. That's one way of describing sin. It's a really great definition. I commend it to you. But it doesn't quite get the heart of the Apostle Paul's message here in Romans chapter 6. Because and Paul is saying that sin here is actually a power. It's a power. It's slavery. He's not saying it's doing something wrong. Now, is sin doing something wrong? Yes. Don't walk out of here and say, Pastor Sheridan said sin is not doing something wrong today. No, it is. It's doing something wrong. It's just not the only thing that it is. It's actually an impulse, a power, an inclination inside of you. And when you give into it, it always turns you towards you as the most important thing in life. That's the power of sin. It makes you the center of the universe. Now do you see where Moana and Frozen come in? It's not that the things, it's the orientation of the heart. They're turning on themselves. They're making themselves the foundation of their existence and their identity. They're making their achievements, their aspiration in life. They're making their accomplishments, their satisfaction in life. And the divine God, the creator, the one in whom we are made to live on and to be in relationship with is nowhere in the picture. Is nowhere in the picture. Now here's why this is so important. is because when we understand sin as a power that's within us, a slavery, an impulse, and an inclination towards self rather than towards God... Right, Because we're called to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. And, and, and we're, we're typically worshiping the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I, most of the time. And we're focused towards that, that inclination. That reversal is actually what is going on inside of us. And the Apostle Paul says that's a trap that you come into this world with and you can't get out of it. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. It's a power it's a power that's within you. And so if you can see how the world is actually strengthening the internal power of the captivity of sin when it says, just give in to the desires of your heart. Because your heart already wants to hear that. <laughs> like how many of you have to like wake up in the morning and go, okay, I'm going to try to think of myself today. 
You ever found that difficult? Like, is that, that hard for you? And some of you are like, yeah, I just so live for others. I was like, you're really blind if you think that's the case. You know, you, some of us do live as it were for others. And if we are codependent in that way, in our living for others, that means we really like what that says about us. Listen, it's all over us. It's every inch of us. You, you don't have to train yourself towards that direction. It comes with the territory. And that is your slavery. And the Apostle Paul says, you, we, all, we all have it. And the end of this is ultimately death. Now, if you think about it, it's death-like long before it's death. Because <laughs> what happens when we get everything that we want and we give in to the desires and the impulses of our lives and we think about ourselves all of the time and maybe we even, you know, one of the worst things that can happen is we're actually successful in those attempts and we get the money and we get the prestige and we get the power and we get consumed with ourselves and we find ourselves um, depressed, anxious, joyless, we find ourselves with everything that ought to be comfortable and we're ill at ease, not at ease. There's that really fascinating interview with Tom Brady. Many of you have actually seen. If you haven't seen it, you might go online and watch it on YouTube. I think it's after the second or third Super Bowl. Can't remember which one. There's so many. Uh, not this year. <laughs> mm. And he's being interviewed. What's it like to be the you know, greatest of all time and, and the most successful? And his response is essentially, I hope it means something more than this. What? <laughs> I thought this was, and he's basically saying, it's not quite what it's cracked up to be. Um, the reality of that is you think, well, you know, wow, Tom Brady. But isn't that you after you've had the new car for a month and a half? <laughs> you after the vacation? Isn't that you after the thing or the promotion? Or <laughs> yeah, a lot of this, right? That's part of what we're battling here. Is it's the same thing at different degrees and levels. The orientation that's there. And here's, part, here's uh, this is the way I'm summarizing it today. The, the, it's because the world has the problem and the solution exactly backwards. The, the world says the problem is outside of you. All these people putting restraints on you. Your problem is your parents and your in-laws and the government. And the problem is your boss and all these things. If you could just, you're a really nice person if everybody around you would just be good people, right? The problem is out there, but if you just take time to get to know you, you'll find the solution. And the Bible says it's not that way at all. The problem is actually you. And the solution is outside of you. The solution is in Christ. It's in someone totally other than you. It's in someone who, if I can put it this way, there's very little resemblance between you and them. <laughs> and they are your cure. That, that's what the Christianity actually says. And Paul here in the context of this passage is saying, 
There is a, there's, everyone's under slavery of one of two types. There is a slavery that leads to death that's pervasive overall. But what happens to you when you're converted, when you change, is that you are embark on a life of freedom that is an utter slave to Jesus Christ. It's an utter slave. It's a slavery that leads to life. Look at what he says in verses 17 and 18. And we're really just going to, we're really camping out around the themes of these verses. We can't get into everything today, but try to, try to hit this key point. Look at verse 17 and 18, this little doxology, this little worship moment for uh, Paul. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves. Notice past tense. But you have become obedient from the heart to the standard It's kind of a language for law. The standard of teaching to which you were committed, the gospel and all of its imperatives and the life that flows from it. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. You've become slaves of righteousness. Now here's the question that I want to ask. How does that how does it happen? Because some of maybe you're reading that and you're thinking, man, he said that so definitively. He said that like you were slave to sin. It still kind of felt that way yesterday for me, right? You may, if you had that thought, you're among friends in this room. Let's remember how the Apostle Paul is talking and in the context of how he's communicating. He's speaking in legal finished terminology. Here's what has been done. Justification. Christ has saved you. He has paid the penalty for your sins. And he has broken the reigning power of sin in your life. He has broken the reigning power of sin in your life. Meaning to say that as you grow in Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit applying to you the very heart of Jesus growing more into his likeness, you're increasingly becoming obedient to the things that he has called you to. And the things of the world, as the old hymn says, are growing strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And you're finding yourself, as you walk in what you are, as you become what it is that Christ has done, you're growing into what is certain As that happens, you begin to find your life more and more free in Christ. And you find yourself more and more committed to his commands and his way. And when you say, I have, you know, it's my Bible reading plan today. And I need to get up and check that box. And I don't want to. And then you begin to remind yourself, now wait, when I open up the word, God speaks to me, his child whom he has loved. He has sent to me Christ, who has purchased me with his own blood, who's preparing a place for me and is with me on this pilgrim journey until I get there. And today he personally, through his word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, wants to communicate to me his love and his commands so that I might experience freedom and joy and peace in him. That changed my Bible study right there. All of a sudden, the whole of the realities of what actually is going on are alive to my soul. And now all of a sudden I go, how much do I get to read? How long can I meditate? 
How long can I talk to him? I want others to know this. When do I get to evangelize? What are the ways in which my life is I'm pursuing the world rather than him and I know that that's going to let me down and fail me? And what are the ways in which I know this is hard for me and I definitely need to do it and as I do that which is hard, I know that he'll bless me in the midst of it and he'll begin to change my heart. And I'm pursuing and you're doing that as an act of faith and increasingly you're finding yourself freer. What do I mean by freer? Less anxious, less harried, less filled with the concerns of the world, more confident, but increasingly humble, more knowledgeable, but realizing you need to know more, more teachable than you've ever been, softer, but more courageous, willing to go to take up that cross daily and follow him. And finding it to be a light and easy yoke. That's what we're to grow into. Paul says, this is how obedience becomes your happy choice. When you begin to actually have a power that enters your life that's stronger than the power of sin. And let me tell you this. Jesus has already defeated sin and death. It's done. So we know he's more powerful than sin and death. It's already manifested. He's resurrected from the grave and is at the right hand of the Father. We already know it. And the more that we come to know that personally and appropriate those realities to our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit applying these truths to our lives, you know what begins to happen? The more we experience his power in our lives over the present sins of which we struggle with. You know why you may not be experiencing victory over sin? It's really not pursuing Christ's power to overcome it. It's really, it's more you and attempting to just commit through your own strength. Or out of shame that you fall all the time, you're just going to try to do better. And guess what? It doesn't work. Case in point, I've tried it many times. Lord, you've got to do this as I go do it. You've got to go do this. As I commit myself to you, you, you've got to do this. A humble but disciplined receptivity of his grace. That begins to change your heart because what happens is as the beauty of Christ becomes more attractive to you than the, the sort of titillation of sin. Thomas Chalmers would say that the reigning power in your heart becomes Christ in that moment. And he says the, when the beauty of Christ comes, it has the power to expulsive, expulsive power. It has the power to throw off sin when the glory of Christ is, is alive to you. The expulsive power. And you begin to say, the things I once thought were freeing, I can see are utterly enslaving. And the things I thought I would find peace in are, are going to constantly make me restless. Here is my peace. Here is my joy. Here is my freedom. His name is Christ. So John Dunn, as we close, one of his favorite, or one of my favorite, I should say. I don't know if it was one of his favorites. One of my favorite sonnets of John Dunn. He is uh, he's praying uh, his own desire to uh, become more uh, in love with and um, 
committed to his Savior. And a couple of lines that he says at the end of one of his famous sonnets. He's speaking this to God. Think of these words, and they're, they're very strong. Take me to you. Imprison me. For I, except you enthrall me, I'll never be free. Never chased unless you ravish me. Now what is he saying? He says, take me to you and imprison me. Put me inside of you. For except you would enthrall me. What's he saying? You, the beauty of who you are and the power of the gospel, unless that enthralls me, I'm never going to be free. But didn't he just cry to be in a prison? He did. Because being locked in Jesus is a place that's behind bars that you'll always be free. Being within the strictures of his commands is like being within the fences of a playground. It keeps everyone safe and happy. I will never be chased unless you ravish me, unless you take hold of me. And the language there is so strong it's almost offensive. I would never come and be your lover unless you force yourself upon me to love you. The strength of his request is to recognize, Lord, I need you to come do this work in me. I had the opportunity to see a beautiful film, and uh, some of you will know Terrence Malick uh, and some of his work and recent film called A Hidden Life. He, in this film, tells the story of a man in Austria who wouldn't submit himself to Adolf Hitler during World War II, wouldn't make commitments and covenants to um, the Nazi regime, was ultimately in, imprisoned, and um, out of his commitment to Christ. I won't ruin the movie for you at all, especially if you want to want to see it. But one of there's a moment, a poignant moment, where he's in prison. He's been abused for his commitments. And no one can understand why he can't just say the words. Just say the words and even think something different in your heart. And he wanted to be faithful and committed, a man full of integrity. And he said, listen, if you just say these words, you'll be free. A man looks at his soldier prisoner guard and says, I'm already free. And as the lawyer standing there goes, well, then why am I here <laughs> to kind of help you? His response, I have no idea. Because he already had an advocate. He already had a lawyer. A verdict had already been ruled. A higher court had already adjudicated his case. He lived by the freedom of a kingdom that is not of this world. And he could be committed even unto death. Unless you enthrall me, I will never be free. By God's grace, he will enthrall us today yet again. Father in heaven, we would ask for that. We would pray to that. We would petition towards it. Would you please come change us and begin to shape us that we might be free slaves to you, making your commands our happy choice. Hear this prayer and answer it in Jesus' name. Amen.